This is Everyday Seeker, real talk for the new age, and I am your host, Rebecca Muir. You can find us online at everydayseeker.net and all of the social media as well. We're on Facebook and Instagram, etc., etc. <laughs> so please connect with us there. I love that. It's my favorite. My favorite to connect with you on there and see who you are, what you're all doing, um, catch little glimpses of your lives. Today is an awesome day because I'm speaking with a dear friend, a dear old high school friend named Isaac Mundy, and we're going to be speaking about Christmas, among other things. But Isaac is a minister of the United Church of Canada and a devoted husband and father of two. He is also a pilgrim, a yogi, a musician, a lover and explorer of French culture, and a craft beer enthusiast. So welcome, Isaac. Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. We were just catching up. It's been well over a decade since we've seen each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we grew up. Well, you grew up a, a lot in Ontario, but we we went to high school together in in Nova Scotia. So uh, we're both we both moved away. But um, yeah. a little about your background is wh- I first met you in probably tenth or eleventh grade. Did you first move out there? Yeah, I was there. I think I was there for grade 12. I started Oh, that's uh, it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. So, fast friends. <laughs> yeah, so your your father was a minister um in the community and to this day you're one of my favorite people and I I remember that I admired you so much because you were so kind to everyone and you were so fun-loving and had such a beautiful open heart and you were just very accepting of everybody you know we had friends of different from different cultural backgrounds and different religions and um, you were a very spiritual person but you know you weren't like dogmatic or traditional or trendy about it you just kind of explored a lot even though you you were a member of the church and still are obviously you're a minister um so that i think that that's such a special quality about you um Thanks. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you were, you know, you've always been doing yoga, meditation. Um, you had a great interest in Christian mysticism as well, probably among uh, many other things that I wasn't aware of at the time. And, uh, you know, you have uh, your really own strong and special connection to Christianity. So, you know, you, you were born into a, a lineage of Christian ministers, right? You said your father, your grandfather great-grandfather great-great-grandfather yeah and actually on both sides uh ministers so it's been pretty uh pretty wild (laughs) yeah and that's what's so beautiful about you because um i really i sense that uh christianity really is a choice for you i mean you you really you really do choose it consciously it's not something that you just are because that's what you were born into although um certainly the lineage is very powerful and um it does seem very much like your calling i think we all knew that when we we knew you even as, as children um but can you tell us why did you choose the christian path yeah i i mean Definitely, I was raised within that that Christian tradition, and uh, church was always a part of my life. Um, but I think, in terms of the side of choice, um, I, and particularly in terms of my own vocation, really, when I when I was pretty young, I had a really strong sense that God was asking me to go into 
uh, into ministry. And at that point, I was just like, no way, I want to play soccer. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is not going to happen. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, too, having so many people in my family who had been ministers, it made it feel hard for it to even be a choice. And so it wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't really until I I went away and spent like a good year into in two monastic communities in Europe that I felt like I was really able to say yes in a way that was um, pretty free, I guess, in terms of making that choice because um, you know there's lots of really great things about going into ministry. There's lots of really tough things, and so I saw all of them, and probably had voices from different family members who were uh, emphasizing some more than the other ones. And uh, so some people saying like, "Be careful, this can be really tough," or "Oh, you've got to do this." <laughs> so, uh, so it was good to to be able to have that space and just kind of to listen for where I was really being led, so that then I could say yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a great deal of counseling involved in uh, your vocation, and um, you do have a gift for that. And I, I do, and it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> I remember you going away. Um, you also, that was around the same time that you did the pilgrimage, uh, the Camino de Santiago, is it not? That's right, yeah. I had done the, the Camino in 2001, and then yeah. after that I had went to the monastery for a bit and then went back a few years later for that longer stay. Right, and I remember when you came back, and, you, you know, I think for a long time you kind of thought, yes, I'm going to be a minister, and then you were sort of wondering whether that was really the path for you, and I I feel like I always knew that it was <laughs> for you, and I remember when you were like, okay, yes, this is my calling, and this is this is my choice, and it just, it felt it felt good in my heart to see you in that space, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was just beautiful. It felt right. Yeah. Um, so because you've been such a, a wonderful friend to me and so many other people. I remember just, you know, going through a tough time uh, in early college, and it was just always a great comfort to speak with you. You really do have a gift. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I'm just glad that, you know, everything is everything is worked out really beautifully, so now you have your own community. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, let's... Let's talk about God. <laughs> Let's talk about as a Christian. So, who is God? What is God to you? And who is Christ? Yeah, I mean, I really feel like God is that that presence of love personified. I mean, there's so many ways that we talk about God within the within the Christian tradition. We talk about God um, as being like the creative uh, force in the universe. We we talk about God being that presence of love and reconciliation and guidance. And I feel like, it, I don't know, sometimes it's so hard to explain because definitely um, I and, and, and a lot of other Christians see God in that personified way, but it's, especially within the United Church of Canada, it's not like it's some dude up in the sky, you know, like <laughs> We try and be pretty conscious about not using gender inclusive or gender exclusive language. Like we, wow. uh, so that's that's important too. Like wow. usually within the United Church of Canada, we wouldn't say God as a he or uh, really. Like yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, my mind is a little blown right now. 
<laughs> yeah, living it's, in America uh, for ten years. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, that's it, so it, progressive. God self. It's because we try and not say like himself or things like that. Uh, yeah. Oh, holy cow. That is absolutely... When did that shift? Has that always been that way in the United Church of Canada? I mean, the uh, United Church of Canada has been pretty progressive. Like, yeah. we've had... Um, we made the decision in 1988 that um, anybody kind of from within the LGBTQ community would be a minister. And we were doing, you know, same-sex marriages before it was even really legal in Canada. Yeah, 88. So, that's a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's, uh, I'd say in terms of the gender inclusive language for God, that's, it, it kind of was probably starting to brew in the like 60s and 70s, and then has become more and more a part of just kind of the identity of what it means to, to be in our particular expression of Christianity. God, that's beautiful. That's incredible news. I mean, I really didn't, I really didn't know that. Um that there, there were any churches out there that were, you know, literally using gender-inclusive language. I mean, yeah. I know there's many. I, I had a gospel choir gig um, for quite some time in Boston um, at a church that was very inclusive and welcoming to um, those in the LGBTQ community. But I don't yeah. recall gender-inclusive language even being, like, a thought. I mean, if okay. everything was yeah. just, that's just amazing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we have we're still like obviously in dialogue with biblical language and so sometimes that can be interesting trying to so how do we sort of interpret a text that was written in a time where that wasn't even on the radar in terms of, <laughs> of yeah. language and yeah, how do we interpret that into everyday language but you know i think it's that's a good challenge yeah i just love i just love everything about this so um yeah, it's just so progressive and uh, forward-thinking, and it's really all about love. Essentially, that's the whole reason for the change, right? As, yeah, uh, to be able to, uh, and to be able to, I think in a way, you know, even in the Bible, there's imagery, that's there's feminine imagery that's used for God. It's just, it's kind of, it's not talked about as much. And I mean, it's not as, as present there, but I really believe that, you know, to be able to speak truthfully about God, you need to, in some ways, be able to get beyond that language that can contain God in ways that aren't helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Maybe I'll have yeah. you, you know, if if all goes well and you'll give me a second shot here, uh, I'd love to have you back on to even talk about that and some of these other you know, subjects that pop up in terms of tradition and innovation and the evolution of, of, of religion, because it is evolving. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a big thing. And, you know, actually, speaking of evolution, I'd love to hear a little bit about the evolution of your own particular um, spiritual path, uh, your spiritual, your relationship to God as it has evolved. I don't know exactly, that's kind of a broad question. But um, you did do quite a lot of exploring, you know, you did live um, in in the monastery in Europe, you did the pilgrimage, um, the Camino de Santiago. So, yeah. just curious how your relationship with the divine has evolved over the years. Yeah, I mean, the, all the, all of these experiences were were really formative for me. I mean, you know, growing up to um, so many beautiful experiences of being part of a community of faith and hard ones too, in terms of you know trying to see how the church adapts to 
um, a world that you know it used to be that that churches were you know everybody was a part of a church or, or a synagogue or a, a mosque and now you know we're much more in a world where um, that's not necessarily the expectation and and I think that that's that's good in some ways because then it more means when you're making a faith choice it's it's an actual choice rather than just kind of going into things so you know seeing all of that adjustment as I was growing up and definitely you know, having experiences uh, in terms of places like Halifax, where there was such a strong Shambhala community, Sham- mm. uh, Shambhala Buddhism, and, um, you know, also um, uh, experiences in terms of uh, yoga and different things like that. All of those um, aspects of my spiritual life were really formative um, in terms of learning about what it meant to be open uh, to to what I would describe as, as this presence of God. And, uh, and so I'd say probably in the last few years, um, one of the most important things for me has been having regular spiritual direction. And um, that's where, you know, you kind of end up meeting with a, a mentor type figure that could be, you know, once a, me- uh, once a week or maybe once a month. But having them sort of uh, having that guidance in terms of delving into your prayer life and because... You know, daily practice after a little while can get a bit boring sometimes. <laughs> um, and so it's like, how do you grow in the midst of that? If, if it's something that, you know, this is something that I'm participating in every day and, uh, and devoting myself to what is, uh, yeah, what, what, are, what are the places for growth and development? And to look at that with, with a spiritual director has been really great. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you're a minister and you have a spiritual director is kind of amazing to me because, uh, you know, so many of us just perceive it's like you're the top of the rung, kind of, you know, (laughs) you are the spiritual director for all of us. So who is your spiritual director? I actually, um, over the last few years since I've been in London, I've gone to a really uh, cool uh, nun at... uh, Yes! you know very progressive individual and um i mean it's interesting because we're coming from different backgrounds i'm coming from the united church she's coming from a catholic background uh and so there are some things that probably um uh, there there are some things that we're not maybe on the same page uh with about i don't know doctrine or different things like that but there's you know she's lived this entire life uh, in a very focused way on um, her life of faith and so there's ways that we can come together yeah. uh, around spirituality and prayer that that I just find very life-giving. Wow that's awesome I love yeah. that oh my gosh so I that was another thing I mean I know I said we were going to be talking about Christmas but now I'm off on I have all these other questions and I'm just going to roll with them because uh, it's all related um, yeah. But uh, so you do have an active daily spiritual practice um, that involves both meditation and prayer. Is that correct? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Can you just tell us a little bit about, um, tell us about that. Tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, usually for me, uh, and I found that (laughs) it's interesting because like the, as a parent, um, 
I kind of felt like, oh, now that I've become a parent, I'm gonna have like less and less time to be able to pray. But it's I found that <laughs> after, uh, it's cause it's just so crazy uh, in terms of uh, the schedule and people waking up at all hours. But I've actually found that I've gotten into uh, a prayer practice that's um, even deepened, and I think that I I just I need that resource to be, you know, a compassionate individual, both in my um, my church life and kind of professional life and also within my family life. So usually in the morning I will uh, meditate for 20, 20 minutes. And so it's kind of it, for people who are familiar with like mantra prayer and other traditions. For me, I would stay on an in breath with the word Christ and on an out breath, um, Jesus. And so that would be for 20 minutes. I would do that. And then I would, um, afterwards, I kind of have a, a prayer book from one of the monastic communities that I stayed with um, in Europe, and I use that to sort of pray for other people and to give thanks, read some scripture, and uh, and then I repeat that in the evening. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's lovely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think meditation is, uh, at least for me, it's been the biggest way that I've connected to the divine um, yeah. because you create space. I mean, it's nice that it's wonderful to have spiritual scriptures and to have guides and to, you know, have spiritual teachers. Um, but for me to, to be able to sit and um, in stillness and, and in spaciousness and to experience what arises there. And that that's often one of the ways that I've experienced um, the divine the most profoundly yeah um, yeah i'd is, really say that that's the heart of the practice for me is in terms of that contemplative uh, side of it right and then prayer as well has actually been really big for me even though i don't you know don't subscribe to any particular religion um so i'm wondering uh you know what you would say about prayer as well just because i'm sure when you were you've been probably praying since you were a young child you know have been raised to yeah, pray, yeah. but what you've discovered about it, um, yeah, in your own it, practice. Yeah, it's it's interesting because for a number of years, I found the. I mean, we would within the Christian tradition, we would probably call both prayer. We would call, um, you know, the in terms of speaking to God with words, we might call that like intercessory prayer or, or different things like that. And we call the meditation side of it contemplative prayer. Mm. But are you are you kind of asking more with the prayer with words? Uh, I think just whatever your experience of prayer has developed into or what you may have discovered through prayer about God or about your own relationship with it. Because I think when we're little, we're, you know, we're taught about prayer, what it is, how to do it. We might be given yeah. a prayer to say, um, yeah, I, or, yeah, so what your experience has been um, over time as, yeah. as you have prayed? You know, I think that one of the things for me that was, was the scariest part of entering into a more intentional life of prayer was hearing about um, how people have experiences of dryness in prayer or kind of like a... Um, a dark night, or um, there are all these different ways of describing it in the Christian tradition, but uh, entering into a contemplative prayer where maybe you don't get the same feeling of um, 
uh, I guess, of gratification or of it's not as experiential that sometimes there can be times or, you know, weeks or months in, in prayer life or contemplative life or meditation life where it doesn't seem like anything is happening. And that was really scary for me, I think, when I was first starting to enter into the practice of um, of meditation. Um, but it's interesting because I have had periods like that in um, in my life. But at the same time, I, I feel like even when there have been those experiences where it doesn't seem like anything is happening in the midst of my actual sitting practice, I still feel like the practice itself um, affects the rest of my life and I and I will I can notice the difference if um, you know there are periods of time where I've um, I, I don't know been less involved in that uh, in that contemplative practice and for me while it was at first the idea of it was scary um, I think that now I, I find that there's even in the midst of that dryness there's a beauty because you realize that even in times where you're not sure where God is or where that um, that presence of love is. It is still there, even if even if I can't see it. And that actually mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope. That because uh, everybody has experiences in life where they just feel alone or not sure where they're going on on the path. But to know that that presence is still there, even when you don't perceive it, that's there's a beauty in that. I think that's uh, yeah, that's really big. It's really big. I've experienced that myself as well. And then it it is all the sweeter when, uh, when you get, when it starts to rain, I guess, when, when it (laughs) it becomes not dry anymore and you know, you, you get to the oasis uh, or you have some sort of experience where you do feel like you're connecting with the divine. And, um, I don't know, how would you define prayer? Is it talking to God? Is it connecting to God? Is it listening to God? Is it all of those things? You know, I think a lot of the time I like think about it in terms of relationship, and, and I think just letting, because you know, a lot of the time in my, uh, the more that I've done meditation and contemplative prayer, the more I've realized that like it's not something that I'm good at. Like it's, um, and I think that used to bug me that it's like, why can I not just stay concentrated during this 20 minutes period? Or why am oh, I Oh, like you and everyone else? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I, I think that particularly in this current relationship, spiritual direction relationship that I've been in, just kind of giving myself the permission to say, um, you know, there are times where I'm going to be just completely distracted, but setting aside that time is allowing me to say um, that even when I'm distracted, that there is this space that I'm still giving to that relationship with God, and uh, and sometimes that's that's enough. That uh, even in the times where I am so completely distracted, um, to to be able to say I, I still give this to you, um, even <laughs> it's it's not the gift uh, maybe as great as I would like to give, but I still give this to you. And because I believe that that presence is so loving that there is that sense that this is enough. And yeah. Yeah. You're doing your best. Yeah. Wow. That's actually really, that's gorgeous too. And I think there's a lot of parallels with that in Buddhism as well, right? It's like people always think that with meditation that they have to still their mind, quiet their mind. Right. Um, 
I'm supposed to just be completely at peace right now. Um, everything I'm supposed to be, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? There's this yeah. whole sense of that. And there's a pressure around it as well. Sure. Um, and uh, I, I guess I suppose that especially can come into play with, uh, with religion as opposed to spirituality um, because there is more of a structure. And so there is a sense, oh, am I doing this correctly? Um, and so we, we can be so hard on ourselves, so, so hard on ourselves. Oh, sure. you know, I'm so distracted, or why can't I still my mind? Why can't right. I feel this connection? And I think, I think that's just really beautiful that you've come. I mean, how long did it take you to come to that? Uh, I'm assuming that you, that you came to that place through... <laughs> Just a long amount of time of, of praying. And I think just yeah. having somebody consistently reminding me that ultimately, it, yeah, it's not about my own performance or about my own success. It's about that relationship of love. And sometimes you just need to hear it over and over again over years or even decades before that sinks in. And I think it, I mean, it still is sinking in. It's not like I've arrived <laughs> or, you know, and there's still times where I feel frustrated or, uh, um, you know, wondering, like, uh, where am I in the midst of all of this? Um, but, yeah, just to be to be reminded and just to keep on keep on doing it, even those those kind of graces or that that mercy is just kind of gets revealed over time and it's uh yeah yeah well as you're able to be kind and loving and accepting toward yourself um like showing up sort of as you are um with god and and being in that space uh i mean you you have a ministry you have a community of people and that allows you as you're being able to be kind and loving and accepting of yourself to extend that to other people um, and so I imagine that's a big part of your spiritual experience is interacting with your community as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, I mean, that's the thing too, is that I find when there's a certain level of, I guess, health within that interior life, that's really, for me, what I've found has led for my ability to kind of have a solidarity with other people um, as well, whether it's in our church community that, um, you know, meets on a Sunday morning or whether that's with people that um, I would be working with through the week um, in the wider world. All, all of that is really fed by that relationship. And, uh, and then I think that those relationships also lead me back into the space of, uh, of contemplation too and that there's that that rhythm uh, of kind of moving out into the world and then coming back in and it's it's like breathing yeah uh, i love that you just put it that way that's gorgeous um yeah i mean the external world is i find god there i think you know it's it's not just in in prayer and contemplation um and i've heard a lot of people specifically in the christian community talk about having some of the most profound experiences with the divine or encounters with the divine in interacting with other people yeah um, which is really yeah. beautiful you know homeless outreach programs things like that i actually spoke with someone over thanksgiving who does a lot of work with the homeless and you know he's a christian and he said that you know when he was doing this work he saw god yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean it's 
it's kind of like two sides of two sides of the same coin. And so, I mean, what is it like to be to lead a community? Well, you know, I'm really lucky because here at Siloam, I'm in a, a team ministry uh, situation, and I'm working actually for the most part with um, with children and uh, and youth and young adults. I'm kind of like the zero to thirty guy here at uh, oh, at our. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, and so great. yeah. So let's just actually also establish that you are quite young. So you are thirty three, thirty two. Yeah, exactly. Thirty three. You're in your Jesus year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I learned that from Beyonce uh, this year. <laughs> oh, is that where that came from? I, I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I remember her talking. I think it was maybe last year. She was in her Jesus year. And I so. love it. I'm in my Jesus year, too. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Go, Beyonce. <laughs> All right. So I'm sorry. You were saying, yes, you're working with youth. and Yeah. And so, I mean, and I, I mean I'm in, within a leadership position uh, in terms of, uh, of with with them. But it's, it's a pretty, it's a great... Uh, it's a great ministry to be in because there's a lot of room for creativity and there's that thirst for uh, among that demographic of looking at new ways that we can be a community of faith. And um, uh, so, yeah, I get to do a lot of cool things. Like uh, I was telling you before, I get to lead a, a pub night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty sweet. That's the best thing, too. But I love, like, this is the evolution of religion, essentially, right? Like, you still keep everything that you love about it. But, like, like I, I would love to be like, yeah, yo, my minister loves beer. Like, I'm going to the pub to have a beer with my minister. Like, that's yeah. just that's just rad. I'm sorry, but it totally is. Yeah. But, yeah, and in some ways, we're going back to the roots, right? Because Jesus was all about turning water into wine. That's right. But... He, he loved the wine. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. I mean, it's funny too because like I'm a teacher as well, and um, I, you know, I teach. I, I don't teach full time, but I find working with young people um, is really feeds me. Yeah, yeah, it really does, and um, their energy and like their. I mean, not that I'm that old, you know. I'm just only in my Jesus <laughs> year, okay? But yeah, but yeah. I mean, I I really find um, I find great hope in them and I find that they really impress me my students impress me not musically I mean like just in terms of who they are as people and their outlook and they I don't know this the the new generations that are up and coming are they're powerful and they're open and they're loving and they're smart and I just they impress me all the time and I just to me that's that's one way that I that that kind of grows my faith or deepens my faith in the divine yeah. yeah, and there's I think that there's such a, you know, there can be a real intensity in a really positive way in terms of, because in some ways as you move through childhood and adolescence, there are just all these things that you're experiencing for the first time, and there's aspects then too of your spirituality that can become so vivid, and I think that over I mean, I talked about, you know, the, I guess maybe some of the positive sides of that you can find in moments of dryness, but sometimes within religious life, you know, there can be times where you get into a pattern and um, you sort of can lose sight of um, the sources of 
of who we are and uh, uh, of of that presence of love in the world and so i think that being in contact with people you know in their teens in their 20s or in childhood really allows you to to be reawoken to some of those vivid experiences of what it means to be uh, to have an embodied spirituality and to, to live life in that way. Right, to not be existing or operating solely from a structure. And I, I actually think structure is an incredibly positive thing. So yeah. I, don't, I don't say that um, to knock structure or ritual or, um, or the church at all in any way. I think that it's beautiful to have a spiritual community and the structure of a spiritual practice and, and a religion. Yeah. But, but to have, um, there is a spontaneity there as well in the divine. And it's just, yeah. Anyhow, I feel you yeah. on that. <laughs> I'm curious, um, this is a bit of a personal question, but I'm curious what um, one or some of the most profound experiences that you've had or some of some of the moments where you felt the most connected to the divine and if you'd be willing to share one or or some of those yeah i mean definitely when i was uh, when i was little um having that experience like i really felt like it, it, it was interesting that the sense of call uh, and vocation um it's when not I, weird to me at all because I felt that for you. Like it's okay, really yeah. bizarre. Like I looked at you and I felt that for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was because I remember like when I was I was probably like eight years old, and I remember I was going downstairs to uh, uh, just watch Ninja Turtles or something, <laughs> <laughs> and I like picked up the remote, uh, but before I. Um, before I turned it on, I just heard this voice say, Isaac, you're to be a minister. And it wasn't kind of like in that moment, like, oh, you've got to do this or, or whatever. It was just this really beautiful moment of invitation. And I remember then going up and like walking halfway up the stairs and saying, oh, mom, dad, or not dad, <laughs> uh, Freudian slip there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, God just told me to be a minister. She's like, "Oh, okay." And then I went and watched Ninja Turtles afterwards. But uh, <laughs> but it was still it's so like great. this experience that stayed with me. And actually, it's funny because my uh, when I was ordained, when I became uh, a ceremony where I became a minister, um, my wife Rebecca gave me a um, a stole, which is kind of like the piece of fabric that you hang over your shoulders. And uh, but on the back of the stole, it had all these uh, like embroidered Ninja Turtles on. I it. was literally <laughs> just going to be like, "Did you put Ninja Turtles on your stole?" Oh yeah, God. totally, totally. Uh, <laughs> you were the coolest minister of all time, easily. You so know I have that, right? Stole that I <laughs> I pick up every once in a while. And, uh, um, yeah. Do you have a picture of you in that? Uh, probably, yeah. Because I, can, uh, I actually, I didn't tell you, but I'm going to need a photo or several photos of you for this, if you wouldn't mind. Provide, I, would lo I would love to get a shot of that stole. <laughs> and this is what I love about you is how lighthearted you are and how, like, you know, you're just, you're just living life, you know. It's just, it's fun. It's, it's like, yes, we live in the year 2015 or whatever year that was, which would be like, what, like 1989 or 90 or 90 or something. But, you know, yeah. these are the times. So, you yeah. know, Ninja Turtles are God too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, wow, thank you for sharing that. Then I know I haven't even gotten into the Christmas thing yet at all, but but in the spirit of self-acceptance, right? Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kind of allowing this to unfold. Um, 
I haven't spoken to you in a long time, and I never really know where these conversations are going to go. But there's always so many things that I that I can ask someone who's as fascinating as you are. Um, and I don't know anyone else like you. I don't know anyone else who who has um, who lives a life like you do. So, um, without further ado, though, I'd like to I'd like to ask you a little bit about Christmas. Um, what is Christmas to you? I, I feel like for me. Um, Christmas, I mean, Christmas has all kinds of things that uh, I feel like emotionally attached to, like, uh, and especially now that I have kids and see them, uh, and I can see them beginning to discover all of the, like, awesome parts of Charlie Brown Christmas and yes, Charlie uh, Brown. <laughs> Santa and stuff like that. Like, that's that's all great and that that's part of things. Uh, but I think for me, like, the ultimate aspect of Christmas that that touches me is this idea of God coming into the world um, but God coming into the world in this way that he comes or uh, God comes <laughs> I see I still slip up even with the the gender that's okay I didn't catch it we but, uh, forgive but, you <laughs> <laughs> but that God comes into the world in the presence of Christ as like the most vulnerable um person that you could be this baby whose life is threatened by people who want to take his life because they're scared of the of the power that he might bring um that there are people essentially living in poverty that they weren't even able to find you know a place to stay and they end up giving birth in this basically a shed um that that god chooses to come into the world in this most vulnerable of ways um, just opens up for me um, the sense of who God is because, you know, obviously there's the imagery of God being almighty and God being all-knowing, and that's one pole, I guess, of of the reality of God. But this Christmas reminds us of the just absolute vulnerability and God's choice of having everything but deciding to come into the world with nothing. Um, that's what's to me is so beautiful about, uh, about Christmas. Wow. I've never heard anybody put it that way. And it makes it, it's beautiful to think of God being vulnerable. Of course. I don't know why I never thought of it that way before. And in terms of coming in with nothing, it's like, well, um, coming in with nothing in terms of nothing that matters anyway everything that matters i guess is inside or or is beyond right yeah. so um ooh, wow that gave me goosebumps yeah um what is your uh favorite symbol of christmas because there's so much rich symbolism or do you have a favorite you know there's like the christmas oh, yeah, star that. the christmas tree there's angels the dove there's you know Santa, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. It's not really related, but, uh, you know, what... Like, I'm definitely Santa. Yeah, uh, I love Santa, too. It's a whole yeah. other a whole other thing, but... Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, in some ways, probably the manger, uh, because oh. it is that, yeah. um, you know, it's just this place where animals fed, right? Like, it's, uh, it's just so um, real and earthy, um, and, and it's the place where this baby would have been and so I think that the manger is uh, yeah the, the, probably the symbol for me that touches me the most because it speaks again to that to that vulnerability oh, I love that 
I love that. Do you do you have a favorite Christmas experience or memory? Huh, that's that's a good question. I, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. Um, <laughs> like there are different funny memories that that I. Because <laughs> uh, you know we were always yeah we did. Christmas as a family, and so it was pretty wrapped up in terms of what was going on in the church. Um, I remember times though where we were serving the communion, and like someone dropped the whole tray of juice uh, glasses <laughs> or uh, <laughs> things like that. So I mean, in some ways, uh, and I was talking about this because I was I did a sermon last week because uh, it was the first Sunday of Advent, which is kind of the season of preparation within the church for Christmas, the four weeks before. And um, I was talking about, because um, we would always have uh, Torchere, which is a, I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, but uh, maybe some of your listeners don't know. It's like a French-Canadian meat pie that's really traditional for Christmas. And, and delicious. Always, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd have that at Christmas Eve, but I remember there was one time where our dog, like, ate both of them. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> ordering little Caesars uh, for some pizza for Christmas Eve. But I think it was, it's kind of an interesting memory because it's those moments where you kind of get broken out of some of the tried and true, true traditions, right. but you realize that the spirit of the season is still there, even when um, some of the things that you thought were essential and that had to happen for Christmas to be real, it, it, sometimes they don't happen, but there's still that... Uh, that heart of the story that that still remains there so yeah that's a beautiful example especially you know i mean yeah these these things are god is in the mundane too right it's like yeah, yeah. like i'm sure um the, the little caesar's pizza was delicious but i mean yeah. that 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 sort of carries carries through to like much larger problems in life because the holidays can be an incredibly sensitive time yeah. for so many people. And I think that's because there's so much hope and love and tradition um, and family, that's right. you know, energy wrapped up in them. And when things aren't all going perfectly, it can be really challenging because there's an expectation there for them to be this perfect thing for everybody to be on their best behavior everybody everything has to be perfect everything has to be just uh everybody has to be perfect almost but it's not that's not the spirit of christmas that's just i think something that a lot of people put on themselves and possibly tradition you know yeah. um tradition and you know stricter yeah. stricter cultural traditions have have put that on people but yeah, I mean, to just be like, you know what, show up as you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, I think about, you know, when you're saying that in terms of the stresses that, you know, like, I'm aware as a minister, and I know that many other ministers are as well, that, like, the, December is also the season when there's the most domestic abuse that takes place. Really? Uh, it's the time, yeah, because it's because there are all these other added stressors that come in, uh, it ends up being this intense time, but it can also be a time that is scary for for folks. Or, yeah, also when you're carrying all the different memories that you've had in terms of times with family, if you've lost someone that you love uh, during that, uh, like Christmas can be one of the times where it's hardest uh, mm -hmm. right after 
lost somebody that you love and so for us it's really important to both celebrate Christmas but remember that there's also what we would call I guess the pastoral side of things the need to care for those who um, are again I guess the most vulnerable during that time because um, you know there's there's a hole that maybe wasn't there before or there's a, a stress that's just so hard to overcome yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the manger being a symbol of Christ's vulnerability. Um, or it just, you know, we are often so vulnerable. And, and to allow ourselves to receive love and to maybe not be so strong during this season. I mean, it's nice if you happen to have, if everything's going well, then that's one thing. But, you know, we can give so much more than just a, a material present. Um, if we can give the gift of our presence and practice love during this time of year, I think that speaks a lot more to the spirit of the season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, so much outreach that's happening at this time of year. Um, but something I wanted to, to touch on, because you mentioned it's, it's, you know, it eats up part of your consciousness, I guess, um, is the commercialization of the season and how that has changed things. I mean, even since our parents' generation, you know, things are drastically, drastically different now. Uh, How do you feel about all of that? What do you witness? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, maybe what, what, what we sometimes end up losing a sense of in terms of whether we're buying gifts for each other or, you know, the different decorations or the the stuff for the meals that we share in, like there definitely is this, um, this drive towards being able to kind of almost buy the, the spirit of the season. But I think that it's so important to remember that in a way the gifts that, um, that we share. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I still give gifts to members of my family. Um, but the idea of giving a gift is is a symbol rather than mm-hmm. the end um, of uh, I guess the end point of, uh, of Christmas, and that we give gifts at least within you know the tradition that I'm part of because it's it's a symbol of the ultimate gift of this of this child in the manger, and so if we lose sight of that, then I think that that we can get wrapped up in the the buying of things and the holding on to to things, but really, when you think about it, this gift of of the Christ child is kind of almost like the ultimate letting go on the part of God, like the the letting go of the power, the letting go of uh, of kind of this image of being a king or something like that, um, at least the king in the traditional sense. And so, I think that it's so important to remember gifts as as symbols and signs and you know a, a lot of the stuff that we do in the church right now like we have um last sunday or well two sundays ago we had a a white gift sunday where all of the gifts are wrapped in white and they end up going to different families that maybe wouldn't be able to buy gifts for for kids and their families but they're all they're all wrapped in white paper because um whether somebody can only buy a gift that's worth five dollars or whether they can buy something that's 500 nobody's gift is seen as kind of better than the other person's mm-hmm. gets yeah. us 
away from, I guess, sort of the consumerist side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, when we when we spoke before as well, I want, I actually don't even know the whole background on this, but in terms of the consumerist side of it, you mentioned something about the Starbucks cups, and you were saying, oh, yeah. yeah, can you just say a little bit about that too, because that was really interesting to me. Okay, yeah, yeah, I mean, I find it interesting, because uh, in some ways, that's, uh, you know, there's you see stuff on Facebook or on social media about people kind of being uh, upset about Starbucks not having enough of the uh, um, the Christmas imagery on the cup, and uh, and then you always hear people talking about how um, you know why can't I say Merry Christmas anymore? Why do I have mm. to say Happy Holidays and things like that? And, I mean, I understand to a certain extent, and obviously as a Christian, I want to keep Christ in Christmas as a, a person of faith. But at the same time, I think, you know, you kind of have to remember that Christianity, in some ways, co-opted this whole end of December uh, um, holiday time uh, from, you know, ancient Roman religions. Like, probably the first Christmas was sometime in the springtime if... Uh, you know, if we believe the stories about about the shepherds out in the fields, they would have been out in the fields sometime in the spring looking after lambs. So really, you know, the holiday or the marking of Christ's birth was kind of put at the end of the year uh, in some ways to kind of co-opt, um, you know, existing traditions around the solstice and right. end of the year. So when we say, oh, we feel, or when you hear people saying, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to say happy holidays and what's happening to our traditions, I mean, I think we need to be honest with ourselves that uh, that originally this time of the year wasn't the original Christmas. So I think we have to be gentle with people. And, you know, there's there's a lot of beauty in terms of celebrating Christmas, whether you're a Christian or not. And for me, Obviously, I'm going to celebrate it thinking about Christ and what that means, but there's a spirit of it that's probably um, goes beyond just what what folks like me have been doing in the Christian tradition over the last 2,000 years. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good point. I love it. Thank you for that, because I actually didn't even really know that much about the Starbucks thing. I, just, I saw it on Facebook, and I just didn't even click on anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I've got better things to do. With my time. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, um, I'm just curious. This is kind of like, you know, speaking of the mundane parts of it. Well, I mean, it's not even that mundane because I find a lot of joy in music and that's a lot of how I, I awaken my connection to the divine. But I'm curious, do you have, you know, a favorite Christmas carol or song? And I definitely want to know about a favorite Christmas movie. I mean, this is like yeah. art. This is like a big part of the way that we can connect to the spirit. And so, yeah. I yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there are like some Canadian carols that I really love. Like there's one called uh, "Twas in the Moon of Winter Time." I love that one. Uh, yeah, the mighty Gitchy Manitou. Exactly. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, and there's one called "No Crowded Eastern Street," which sort of takes place on the prairies that I like too. Oh, but I, I think one. I've always really loved um, the probably the most the um, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." <gasps> Me too. <laughs> uh, it's just got that haunting kind of medieval sounding melody and you know it hits the 
um, you know, the minor notes as well as the, because, you know, so much of Christmas is the joy, the celebration, and that's great. And, you know, so much of Christmas is kind of in a, a major key, I guess, but um, having that more minor O Come O Come Emmanuel uh, taps into a, another part of the season that I find really meaningful. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a really nice observation, actually. Yeah. It's amazing what we can express through art in this. Um, uh, like some of these movies, I, I think I actually watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time last year, which is crazy, I know. Oh, yeah. But I just love the the message of that, you know, community. And I thought it was just such a beautiful... Um, a beautiful testament to the Christmas spirit and like what it's actually really about, um, which is about love and giving. And I, I don't know, there's so many other great, I mean, I love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation too. You know, there's other things like that. I just, just curious off the cuff what your favorite happens to be as a, as yeah. a minister of the Christian church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally not like, I, I wish I could say there's some like religious one that I really like. <laughs> Or like, this is why I'm asking you because I know yeah. you're not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I no, I'm a big fan of like the '60s um, Christmas specials. Like, uh, so I actually I did a series one year during Advent where I compared. Uh, I think uh, like I did four sermons, and one was talking about Charlie Brown Christmas. One was the Grinch. Yes. One was the claymation Rudolph. And one was the Frosty, um, the, like the old school cartoon. And so those four, I don't know if I could choose between. Oh, God, that's them, genius. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you they were on the edge of their seats. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. I used to always get really sad when, when I watched the Rudolph one because he was all rejected and, you know, yeah. alone. I used to just hurt my heart whenever I would watch that. And it was like snowing and blowing and poor Rudolph, you know. Yeah. But then in the end, it all worked out very nicely. Yeah, Didn't good. he get the girl at the end too? I feel like they probably got together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, what do you want people to to know about Christmas that you think maybe there could be some some amnesia or or some you know some misunderstandings? Is there anything that you uh, you know? I, I think that maybe that this because it is the season where god comes to us as god is that we in turn can also come to god as we are that, that we don't have to that we don't have to feel like i, I mean it, i love the celebration and i uh, you know i'm getting excited about putting up our christmas tree with our our two little boys and it, you know it's so great but you know, whether we're able to do all the different parts of our Christian Christmas traditions or not, that we can come to God uh, as we are and that, uh, that there is that sense of just overwhelming love and, and openness that, uh, that will receive us. Oh God, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, that's perfectly, perfectly well said. And that really resonates with me. And I think it will resonate with a lot of people. Um, I mean, it sort of applies at all times, I think, yeah. but especially at this time of year, when also so many people, um, they might even consider themselves Christian, but 
they're not active in their connection or their practice. They may not attend church regularly. There's a lot of what people will call once a year Christians. And I think actually that's fine. I mean, I think it's everybody's path is their own choice, but um, especially resonant with people at this time of year, um, because it can be a time of year where people who have strayed can reconnect. Yeah. Um, And so sometimes there might be some guilt there about, Sure. Oh, well, I haven't been to church or I haven't been doing X, Y, Z or people, you know, we all get off track, you know, um, yeah. regardless of whether we're religious or not in various aspects of our lives. So to know that we can come back without judgment. And I think ju- right. the lack of judgment is is really key there because um, religion can be pretty intimidating. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. So yeah. I think what you just said was all the more profound for that. So. Thank you for that. And um, I'm also wondering what you want people to know about Christianity, or at least about um, the United Church of Canada. Yeah, I I think, I mean, one of the beautiful things for me about, uh, I guess, um, my own life within, within my own Christian faith is I have, in the same ways that I've received a lot from like uh, Buddhist traditions and, uh, and Hinduism and many other religions, I think that I've also received a lot from other denominations as well. And so, um, you know, there are, while there are some things that I'm not going to agree with uh, in terms of maybe some aspects of conservatism that it just I'm not on the same page with, there are all of those gifts. Um, but in terms of, I guess, my own United Church background, I guess just the idea that there are places of faith community where, you know, no matter who you are, no matter who you love, um, no matter what you've done in your past, you are welcome. And that's, um, that within these communities of faith, there there's really a breadth and uh, an openness because um, I think that sometimes, yeah, Christianity can have a bit of a bad rap and it's good that it does in some ways because the Christian tradition has has made a lot of mistakes but there are also places of deep love and openness that I think uh, are there when uh, we search. Yeah, I mean, that actually brings to mind, um, I'm looking for it online right now. There's like a, a here we go. <laughs> um, okay, so it's like Jesus preaching. He's on a, he's on like the mountain or something and there's people, followers around him listening. And he's like, okay, here's an idea. You love them like I love you. And make sure you take care of them and don't judge them. And then someone says, but what if they're gay or worship other gods? And then Jesus is like, did I stutter? <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that meme. Yeah, I think I've seen that meme. I love that one. I mean, it's a really yeah. popular one. But yeah, I feel yeah. like, you know, from what you've described, because I haven't been familiar with um, the United Church of Canada, and, you know, I haven't been to church in a very long time. I, I was exposed to the Anglican Church as a kid. But it's a beautifully accepting, um, it practices what it preaches, you know. Um, and it seems like you're doing a beautiful job of that. And so... Yeah, I just, I think that's wonderful, and I thank you for that, because that's really being a force of good in the world, and that's being a force of love, and that's that's what Christmas is all about, right? Yeah. And hope, too. 
hope too for people to find hope um, and light in the darkness. That's like, um, I think I always relate it back to how, you know, how you said that, you know, Christianity sort of placed Christmas at December 25th conveniently because it is sort of easier to smush it in there with whatever other traditions may have been going on so people wouldn't be so rebellious against it. But, um, you know, astrologically, because I'm an astrology student and this would relate to a lot of the pagan religions, um, that's when the return of the light came, right? So it's like the solstice is the 21st and it's the darkest day of the year. And so Jesus is born just after the darkest day of the year, bringing the light back. And so I like that parallel as well. Yeah, yeah, it works. Yes. So I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't touch on. No, this that felt great. It was really good to be able to to talk about all these different things. And I think even just for myself to get back to the heart of some of the, the aspects of Christmas because it's a pretty busy time as a minister. So sometimes it's, yeah, it's good to be boys. able to sit back and say oh yeah that's really what it's about and i thank you so much for making time for us because i know you're such a busy busy daddy now (laughs) yeah so i really appreciate that um the last question i have for you right so i always ask everyone if you had one message to share with others what would that be you know i i think for, for me one of the one of the the lines that I kept coming back to, or that I keep coming back to um, from my time staying in the monastery, uh, I um, there was this guy named Brother Roger there who he'd founded this community, and it was this community where people from all kinds of different backgrounds within the Christian faith were able to come together and um, move beyond their divisions to live with one another, and uh, he was just an incredible individual and a depth to him and uh, and also able to speak in ways that really, um, I, I think, were accessible to folks who maybe weren't necessarily steeped in the traditions. And he always, um, at the end of every meal, um, we would say this prayer um, uh, where we would say, uh, God, just keep us in the spirit of the Beatitudes, which are which are these lines from from the Gospels. But it says, keep us in the spirit of the Beatitudes, joyful, simple, merciful. And so I guess for me, in terms of sharing with other folks, um, I guess my, my hope would be that, that we can stay in that spirit of joy and simplicity and love, um, and that, uh, that those can be the hallmarks of who we are as a spiritual people. Mm, gorgeous. I love that. Thank you so much, Isaac Mundy. And Isaac is a fellow podcaster as right? well. Yeah. So um, he has a podcast called Wilderness Road. And if you search for that, it's on SoundCloud. It's actually a musical podcast um, featuring, actually, help me out here. <laughs> yeah music from the community of Teze and some reflection and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun to do. Yeah, and they're shorter. They're like, you said, around 10 minutes usually. Yeah. 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 So I, I actually didn't know that until right before we did this. So I'm going to check it out myself too. Find um, him. Yep, find Wilderness Road on SoundCloud and um, connect with us at everydayseeker.net. We wish you a very Merry Christmas and or a happy holiday season with love. 
Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank you. All right. Be well. See you.